if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and worship His Father through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, that is, if you are a worshiper, I wonder if you have special moments of worship that when you think about them, they just send tingles up and down your spine. They thrill you once again. Well, um, somehow the clergy staff got onto that subject this, this last week. We were talking and sharing experiences. And I thought that my own experiences would have to do with music because music was, has been the on-ramp for my recognizing that it is Christ who ministers His reality in the midst of the congregation. And I led worship for years guitar strung around my neck, and actually it's probably a good thing that um, my, my dad, when I was a kid and I wanted to play the guitar, I was, see, I was left-handed, and I wanted to be like Jimi Hendrix and Paul McCartney and learn left-handed, but my dad hired a guy to teach me who would only teach me right-handed. So like, who knows where I might have gone if I'd have been able to play like as good as I possibly could. At any rate, so I wind up in the ministry. But I do music for many years, and there's a certain resonance in my soul for the things of God because of music. So I thought I'd think of one of those many moments. But you know, as, as I talk with, with uh, my, my, my fellow clergy here, I found myself thinking about something else. And it all goes back to a quote from C.S. Lewis, who says, here at the table, a hand from another country reaches across and touches me with big magic. And I realized, you no, know, that over the years has been the, the, the magic of worship for me, going all the way back to my college conversion experience when the when my, I, I had my conversion experience with the senior advisor in my dorm room. And in the midst of my tears and this overwhelming experience, when that was all over, he said, I feel led to do this. And he went down the hall, and he went to the knee-high soda machine and got a knee-high grape soda, brought it back to the room, and took out a, salt, a, a pack of saltine crackers that he had purloined from the school cafeteria. And he said, this is going to be your first communion. And it really was a sense of this hand coming across from another country to touch me. I remember so, as, as though it were yesterday, the first time Tony Clark invited me to help distribute communion. And it was the first time I'd experienced people coming forward. And I was, I was amazed to see how many people smiled when they received the bread. And then the first time I led I chanted the Eucharist. It was, it was um, baptism of the Lord. I think it was also the day that Robert Swanson got, got baptized. And I chanted um, Eucharistic Prayer D, which is so rich and wonderful. And I just felt, I felt like I was at this thin place between heaven and earth, only to find out after the service I'd never turned my microphone on and I was oblivious to it. And I remember I remember the first time in this awkward season now where communion is, is really, really different. I remember the first time looking down as I picked up one of the little hosts 
to, to bring to one of you. And notice that the little drop that the altar guild had, the drop of wine that the altar guild had put on it had accentuated the little cross that was in the midst of it. And I was just, I was just, I was undone. Here, a hand from another country reaches across and touches me, bringing big magic. And it all goes back to today's Old Testament passage where God, through Moses and Aaron, institutes the Passover meal. And I want to offer three simple observations from the establishment of the Passover that, that sustain me and become prayers in me every time I come to this table with you. The first has to do with the fact that a perfect lamb had to be slaughtered. Now, when, when Paul says, Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us, that's an okay translation, but what it acts, the, the Greek is that Christ, our Passover is slaughtered for us. A perfect lamb, blameless, without blemish, had to be slaughtered because of the people's sins so that so that the angel of death, which should have visited every house in Egypt, would pass over the Israelites. And so the first thing is, thanks be to God that you, our gracious Heavenly Father, sent your Son to be like us in every respect and yet without sin, because I am a sinner, we are sinners, and an innocent life has to be given so that the guilty could be declared free. And every time I come to the table, I am overwhelmed with the sense of gratitude that my guilt has been canceled, has been taken away from me. And I pray that that is so for you as well. Now, some of us sin like big, bright, and bold, and some of us sin kind of quiet, and, but that's all of us. And I rejoice in the fact that the Apostle Paul could say early in his writing ministry, thinking about his complicity, like in the death of Stephen, and in his persecuting the Christians, could say, look, I'm, I'm untimely born. I, I have no right to this position. I'm the least of the apostles. But even by the end of his ministry, he was, he was even more deeply aware of his sinfulness as he declares, no longer am I just the least of the apostles, but I am chief of sinners. And just this last week, I found myself speaking unthinkingly to somebody in a way that I know I only knew after the fact was hurtful. And Lord have mercy, I'm so grateful for this table that is so vibrant and real for me today in the midst of my biases, my, my indifference, my indifferences, my blind spots. However, you express the sinfulness within. May you know the grace that is yours at this table because the spotless lamb has taken away the sin of the world. Not just the sin of the world, but the sin of you. Second thing is, the blood had to be 
made into a sign and applied to the household. A sign of blood put on the lentil and on the doorpost, the head and the arms. I cannot help but to think that that signing of the head and that the, the arms of the door is, was itself a forecast of the sign of the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood from his, the crown of thorns, the wounds in his arms that we, that we model every time we offer the sign of the cross. A verbal, a verbal prayer that the blood that was shed that poured from his head, poured out from his hands, and indeed his side and his feet would, would cover so that the angel of death would pass over. The signing of the cross for us becomes, when we take, comes to us, when we take our place in the, at the baptismal font, and that life becomes ours, and we are united with him and, and, and are able to rise with him. And it is, I, it, it, it is something that you just have to do if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, to receive the sign of the cross. Now, we, in, in this church, we like, to, we like to embody that. In other churches, they don't. But what has to happen is the cross has to cover you and to stand before God okay. You have to have the sign of the cross. And this table, by God's grace, reminds me not only that the lamb came to be slain, that I might be forgiven, but I have been given the sign of that slaying, that I can know that my sins are forgiven. And this table becomes an objective reminder of that truth. And that takes me to the third thing. The third thing that happens at the Passover table is that we eat. And the life that was given by the Lamb becomes energy and comes into my life, and I become what it is that I eat because these people at the Passover were going out into a very dangerous situation on a long journey, and they were going to need to be fortified. And so they were supposed to show up at the table ready to go with their sandals on, with their loins girded up, and with their staff in hand, ready, ready to go under the protection of their mighty warrior, ready to go and do his work and do his will in the world. And as you and I come to this table, the invitation is to come in the same way, and that is to come dressed for battle, shoes laced up, and whatever is my particular um, weapon or tool to further his cause in my hand, ready to go. Now, what Paul does in, in today's epistle is give us a little bit of a taste of what that life is that they were going out for and that we go from this place for, where he says, Owe no one anything except this, to love one another. And then he talks about the commandments and the way that the commandments, they're not just a curse. The curse gets taken care of, but the commandments are a way of life, a way of embodying God's love. And what's going to happen with the Israelites after 
their rescue from Egypt is that they're going to be shown, you are my, you are my prized possession. You are a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, and I'm going to give you my, the words that express my character. We call them the king the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words, and as you live those, you show the world who I am and what it is to be in relationship with Him. Now, that's problematic, isn't it? Because they're going to fail, we fail. That's why we have Matthew 18, because we're going to sin, and we need each other to help. It's why Paul has to say, even to people who, uh, who get it, look, these are some things that you've got to avoid, you know, uh, drinking bouts, um, orgies, uh, general terms for debauchery, um, 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 rivalries and jealousies. So we still have to guard ourselves against these things. But the, the, the amazing thing is that Paul's tone is because those things have been covered by Christ who has been sacrificed for us. We really can live not just not murdering, not just not committing adultery, not just not envying, but really caring for the people around us. And that's where people see God. And that is why we come here to get fortified with our loins girded, our sandals on, and our staff in hand. There was a remarkable story in the New York Times just this week about a lady who lived that very life. I'm, I doubt that you know her name. Her name is Sarah Farrow, um, Sophia Farrow. You might know the person that, you know, might remember the name of the person that she helped. The name Kitty Genovese became famous because in 1964, Kitty, Gen Kitty Genovese was coming home from her job as a, as a bartender three o'clock in the morning, she was stalked and savagely attacked and it turns out stabbed to death and violated in horrible ways over the course of a half an hour right in the, in the, in the narthex of her queen's apartment. What made the story famous or infamous is that 37 people either heard or saw part of what was going on, and nobody did anything to help her out. In fact, one of the people famously said, didn't want to get involved. Well, one person did get involved, and her name was Sophia Farrow. Roused from her sleep by the noise, she went down and went across the alley, had to push the door open where uh, Kitty's dying body was lying against the door. And Sophia knelt down, took her in her arms, and held her and said, help is on the way. I'm here. Well, help didn't get there on time. But one person did hear, did come, and did what she could. Was it enough to save that life? No. But in the end, that's not what matters. What the story was in the New York Times this week, because just this week, Sophia Farrow 
finally died at the age of 92. God bless her. May she rest in the arms. May you and I be Sophia Pharaohs and not the 37 who turn a deaf ear. You may notice if you parked in the Washington Street a lot that there is a new mural on the east side of the law office that uh, shares our parking lot. That, that is a mural that is a testimony and an encouragement to ladies coming out of sex trafficking, expressing the joy of their new freedom. My dear sister and our deacon, Rose Sapp-Batts, has just taken a job with a home that, the, a home that helps ladies coming out of that life to find their way to a, to a new life. There is so much hurt in our world right now that people simply need to know that somebody cares, somebody will come alongside and say, I'm here, help us on the way, help came. But there are folks right now who are struggling with suicidal thoughts. There are people struggling with pornography addictions, with with gambling addictions, with eating addictions, with just rage at what they see happening in the streets and in the, in the, in the, um, in the halls of justice. And we need to be people who give an attentive ear to the rage and to the hurt and represent the love of God in Jesus Christ. And at this table, at this table, may you find a hand from another country reaching across and giving you the big magic that will fortify you, that will remind you that your sins have been forgiven, that, that the blood covers you, and that with your loins girded, with your sandals on and with your staff in hand, you will have all that you need to go and say to whomever, I am here, help is on the way. God bless you this week. Amen.